Yo, 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 it's your girl and boy CT. I'm Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. Sponsored by Journey 333. That is a place of mind, body, spirit that helps you with fitness, coaching, and nutrition to look better, live better, and feel better. We produce these episodes every week for your enjoyment to help people to overcome adversity and live their dreams. Well, hello there, Overcomer Nation. I am Cindy Barnes. And I'm Travis Barnes. And we are the founders of the Overcomers Podcast. All right. Today, the Overcomers Podcast, which is all about helping you overcome adversity and live your dreams, meets the man who teaches you to overcome obstacles. Today on the show, we have the founder of Spartan. We are going to introduce you to the man behind the races that have gone global. They're in like over 40 countries now. So Joe DeSena, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's DeSena, by the way, not DeSena. Uh, <laughs> hey, this is a funny story. Joe always wants to give you the, the obstacle, right? And I said, hey, how do I say that? Is it DeSena or DeSena? He says, I'm going to let you do it, then I'll correct you. you know? <laughs> so uh, that's great. DeSena, DeSena. That's an Italian name? Yeah, so um, D, Senna, common in, in Italy, when they came over on the boat, when my, my grandparents came over on the boat, um, typically uh, folks would say town of, in other words, where'd you come from, what town? And um, it could be like near Siena, uh -huh. um, but, but it's spelled D-E, and then there's a space, capital S-E-N-A. Well, I think that when people arrived coming over on the boat, they just kind of spelled their name however they wanted to, right? That's right. Uh, there's That's stories right. where a lot of people became Smith at that point, right? You exactly. Know? Oh, man. Well, speaking of that, that, that may be uh, have a bit to do with where you're from, right? So born in Queens, right? Born in Queens, um, Howard Beach, Queens, which was really um, a, a place that folks, for whatever reason, were trying to get them, bootstrap themselves out of um, even a tougher part of Brooklyn, my, my grandparents uh, sold fruits and vegetables and carts. Uh, I don't think I've ever mentioned that on any podcast anywhere. So this is breaking news that okay. they would uh, they were selling fruits and veggies on carts back then. And as they made more money, the hope was for folks, not just Italians, but any ethnicity to, to work their way closer to Long Island. Like that, that was if you made it. And, and Queens was, was closer to Long Island. And this new neighborhood was being built on a swamp, literally on a swamp, probably in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, called Howard Beach. Um, there is a beach that butts up to it. And for whatever reason, um, four of the five crime families' bosses uh, located in Howard Beach. And this wasn't a huge neighborhood. This neighborhood goes about 20 blocks by 20 blocks. So it's, it's like a mile by a mile. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, and all these bosses and all the folks under the bosses located there. So, and then obviously there were business, a lot of business owners and, and blue collar folks. Um, but, but the business owners own their own businesses, whether it was a, a, a bagel shop, a, a diner, um, a cement business, uh, a masonry yard. Um, and what was awesome about growing up in this neighborhood was even if they were on the wrong side of the law, they typically were waking up every early. They were hustlers. And, mm -hmm. and so as a kid, I, 
I picked up on that. Like we, we get shit done in this neighborhood. And then, and then you see those that, that, you know, made them, I can't even say a mistake because it was their career, but did something wrong and got caught and, you know, might get a 25 year, um, bid, a 25 year sentence. And, and, um, and so what that did for, for me and my friends was, I think, well, certainly for me, it made me realize how precious life, free life is, mm-hmm. right? Or somebody dies. Yeah. Or, or somebody dies. And, and so then I just really try to squeeze every single thing I can out of every day. And the other thing it made me do was, was question myself all day, every day. Was I tough enough? Because because you had to go to jail. Like that was, at least that was the narrative you were playing in your head. Like I, I might have to go to jail. Oh my God, can I handle it? So that's probably when the cold shower started when I was a kid and carrying, I used to carry rocks around the neighborhood. People used to ring my father's bell and say, is everything okay with your son? We saw him carrying rocks up and down the block. And I, no, he's just a nutcase. <laughs> well, I appreciate you sharing that. And thanks for sharing something on this show that uh, you haven't shared before, because our goal is to introduce you with your entrepreneurial history, your athlete history, the adversity from which Spartan was born. And, and I appreciate that perspective. Our mutual friend, Todd Durkin, when he introduces me, uh, he always says, I have a unique perspective on time. And I know that I've been to your pilot coaching certification and we're your first franchise in DECA. But of course, I've never shared this with you on a one-to-one level. My unique perspective of time comes from losing 10 years of my life uh, to incarceration. And so, uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons that we do shows like this, you know, just to help people overcome adversity, live their dreams, know that they can uh, overcome anything, uh, which is what you're going to help us teach people today. So uh, thank you for what, sh- what, what, what folks don't know listening is, um, you know, it's hard for you to mention that, right? Because maybe you feel like a lesser person or whatever. And, and what's great about me is I actually, you just got a leg up when I heard that. I was like, all right, he's, he, he, that's like, that's, you just went to Harvard in my mind. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of lessons, definitely a lot of lessons there. So I got yeah. my education in adversity. Um, so let me ask you, you know, so grandparents, entrepreneurs, fruit and vegetable cart, dad was an entrepreneur. Um, you know, mom's a yoga instructor. So you got that balance of health. And uh, as you say, get shit done. We are hustlers, right? We're going to make it. And then, uh, then life evolves. I mean, you had, you've had a fireworks business, you know, I mean, I kind of want to take people on the path of, you know, how you evolved in your business career and also involved in your athletic career to wind up, you know, where we are today. So if you could share a little bit about how that uh, how your history kind of evolved. Yeah, I, 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 I seem to remember, as you asked the question, I seem to remember in the neighborhood, um, my neighbor was the head of the Banana Organized Crime Family. Fourth um, of July was a massive event in this neighborhood because most of the sales of fireworks, which were illegal, were coming out of the neighborhood. Um, and so whatever was left over and not sold by July 4th, which could be a half of a tractor trailer would show up. And um, because it was so much, there was so many um, fireworks and it would have taken all day for stuff to get unpacked. I kid you not, we would pour gasoline in the middle of the street and then we would just take the cases, unpack 
and just start throwing everything into this fire. Oh, wow. Talk about ridiculous, dangerous. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, if there was a car, which we begged cars not to park on the block that day, if there was a car anywhere near, the car might catch on fire and explode. It happened. Um, <laughs> a rooftop might catch on fire in somebody's house. It happened because stuff was shooting in every direction. It was amazing people didn't die. But, wow. that, but that's, that's how it went down. And, um, and so if you're a kid and that's your big Disneyland moment every year, July 4th, um, you know, for me, you start selling fireworks. <laughs> yeah, easy to develop a passion for. I mean, I got this. I, I I'm picturing like Gettysburg right now. Like, I mean, it sounds like a battlefield there. And it was and it, a ba It was a battlefield. Put it this way: my friend, who I met years later, which we'll get into, was from China, and he was he was on the other side of the world where they manufactured the fireworks, and and the displays of uh, on Fourth of July that you know. On, on moments or Chinese New Year, whatever it was in, let's say, Hong Kong that he saw were massive because that's where the manufacturers were, right? And he came to my neighborhood and he goes, you guys are fucking crazy. We've never <laughs> seen anything like this. Even like, for him, it was a lot. Wow. <laughs> it was a lot. So, yeah. so um, I don't think they were intended to be used that way. And, and so I started selling fireworks at a young age. I was pre-teens. And I would get on my bike. I always loved bicycling. I would get on my bike and I would bike um, all around the neighborhood, you know, a mile by a mile, like I said. And I'd be peddling packs of firecrackers. I could buy what they called a mat. They called it a mat of firecrackers, which had 80 packs in it, if my math is correct. And I, I would pay, God, I think I was paying 10 cents a pack um, back then. And then I would sell them for like 13 cents a pack, if I have my math correct. And, and then my, my parents got divorced. My mother found yoga. I'm, getting, I'm going out of order here, but my parents got divorced. My mother found yoga, meditation, and health food in the only health food store in New York at the time because her mom was dying of cancer. So she was seeking another way. And... Um, she brought that home to the house of raviolis and sausage and peppers and everything. Right. And so it was not accepted in the house. Like my grandfather didn't accept, my father didn't accept that. My sister and I didn't accept that this was ridiculous. We weren't going to eat celery and, and meditate. And this was nonsense. And there was all of a sudden a picture of an Indian guru on our wall with beads around his neck. And I had to explain to friends like, well, he's not really related. I don't know what the hell he's doing <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> right. We've got like, some stockers he needs to line up. <laughs> yeah, why does this guy like an afro? He's got an afro and beads yeah. and like didn't make any sense. And, um, and so my mom, the parents got divorced. My mom moved to Ithaca, New York. Unbeknownst to her, no, I love Ithaca. You know, we got a location there. All right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in Ithaca and, and, um, she doesn't know it, but I load into the moving trucks without her noticing a bunch of fireworks and thinking I'm going to bring them up to Ithaca. When I get to Ithaca and I get into this new school, kids are all showing up with a dollar because that's how much lunch was, was a dollar. And so I quickly understood supply and demand because there were no fireworks up there. I had the only supply 
And I said, well, a pack of fireworks is a dollar. So I turned what I was making three cents a pack in Howard Beach. And now I was making 90 cents a pack. Whoa. All right. And, and after about two months, I got caught. They, um, they busted me. They threw me out of school because no one was buying school lunches anymore. They were using their dollars. They were using their dollars to buy packs of firecrackers. So, um, so anyway, that was that. That was just. They must fire. have been like this kid comes here from New York and turned our school into like you know they got firecrackers going off everywhere. It's like a battleground now, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I'm loving this story because my mother loves to cook Italian food. And, you know, we are health conscious people since we have a fitness franchise and all that. And so she'll ask questions when she's going to make a nice meal. She'll be like, well, are you actually eating? <laughs> you know, like, because if I'm eating healthy, then, you know, like maybe I don't want pasta and all this bread and stuff like that. Then she's just like, are, are you actually eating or, you know, are you going to be able to eat if we invite you over? You know, and I'm like, oh, wow. Um, so you went from the fireworks. Was it then that you said, OK, well. You know, since they're going to shut down my fireworks business because you're now a competitor for lunches. Uh, <laughs> is that when you got in the T-shirt business or the pool business? What, what happened next? Well, I didn't tell you about the pool business yet, but um, yeah, let's go. Let's start with the pool business. And then and then I'll tell you how I went into the other businesses. But so my neighbor, the one I described that had the, the, the um, giant tractor trailer every every fourth of July, he was the head of the banana organized crime family. He was a big boss, big house, lived right next door. When my mom left, my parents were going through the divorce. He kind of, I don't know, he took a liking to me. I was young. He said, hey, why don't you come over and clean my swimming pool? My dad had a swimming pool, so I learned how to clean swimming pools from his pool. But he said, you know, come over 8 a.m. on Saturday. So I showed up at his house at 8 a.m. He sat me down. He said, all right, three lessons if you're going to do this. He was going to pay me $35 to clean his pool, which was like unbelievable. Think about how many packs of firecrackers in Queens I had to sell and make $35. He said, um, you know, if I tell you to be here at 8, you better be here at 7.45. On time is late. It was a good lesson. And coming from him, like, kind of knew who he was, right? Everybody kind of knew who he was and what the deal was. So you didn't want to – you listened, if that yeah, makes sure. sense. <laughs> right. yeah. and, um, and he said, secondly, you know, if I'm asking you to clean the pool – you got to go above and beyond. You got to clean the windows. You got to um, straighten up the shed, straighten up the lawn furniture. Um, you got to make yourself invaluable. And that kind of made sense to me, but but um, okay, I'll go above and beyond, even though you're not paying me for that. And then third is never asked for money. And obviously that was a confusing one. I don't understand. I'm doing this to make money. Um, if, if, you know, don't always have your hand out. If you do a great job, you'll get paid, and you'll, and you'll get paid more. Mm -hmm. And um, and so those are three things that I, you know, I used to uh, grow that business. And he introduced me to every boss. So um, anybody look up, uh, Gotti, uh, Vicka Muso, um, you name it. Um, I cleaned their pool. I had 700 customers by the time I, I sold that business. And um, almost all of them were organized crime in some, in some fashion. And I used those three principles. And... Um, People recommended me, and I, now people did owe me money because the you know again the philosophy was never have your hand out, never ask for money. But but um, but it works. It works in life. It it, it, it sometimes uh, you hit some obstacles and some bumps, and you wonder if if there if if that's the right way. But 
for me anyway, it's worked uh, famously. Yeah. So anyway, I built, I built up that business and eventually got into some construction work because if I was cleaning somebody's pool, they said, Hey, can you also, you know, put down some bricks around the pool or replace a window or I was a hard worker. I, I always showed up early, right. Cause on time is late and, and I went above and beyond. So there'd be no reason to not recommend me. So the business was booming. Can we highlight those three things? I, I just think it's so important. We actually have a sign on our, I'm loving this episode, by the way. You know, I, I lived in a neighborhood with a lot of uh, crime. My, shout out to Joe DiStefano, who I'm still friends with today. That's banana crime family right there. You know, he was my cellmate at one time. But, uh, you know, those three lessons, we have a sign on our wall that says, uh, it's a Lombardi quote. You know, be you know, 15 minutes early is on time, right? You know, uh, if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. We've had that. I love that about becoming invaluable, doing more than what's expected like that. That is like the secret. Like so often I we run a business. We've had people ask to be paid more before they did more. Right. You know, and what you just learned, you know, pretty much, you know, one of your first businesses at an early age is stuff that everybody just needs to know and practice because you don't have to ask to be paid if you come in there and you do so much more than what was expected. Yeah. And they'll go out of their way to pay you more than what was expected. You know, I just think, you know, good stuff. I didn't want us to gloss over that. I just wanted to highlight those three lessons because uh, Overcomer Nation, this is some good stuff right here, you know, real good. No, I, I, it's funny, right? Like you can go to Harvard. That's why I made the comment about your situation, because you can go to Harvard and, and spend all that money and, and have done all that work to get into that school and not learn those three important things, um, which really... I went to a good school. I, I've done a lot of hard work. Um, those three important things have probably brought me more success in relationships and business with my children than anything. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad you highlighted them. Um, so anyway, um, now let's go backwards again. So uh, here I am building this business and my mom says, well, we're moving to Ithaca. And so, I'm up there. Like I said, I sold some fireworks, but I got this business that I started with, you know, one or two customers and, and I got to, so I got to come back in the summers, which I'm excited about uh, to live with my dad. And so I would come back in the summer and clean some pools and go back up there and I'm starting to make some money, get thrown out of school because of the fireworks in Ithaca. My dad says something really interesting to me. He says, um, look, you know, it sucks that you got thrown out of school. You got caught because because as far as my dad was concerned, it wasn't bad that I was selling fireworks, it was bad that I got caught. And, um, and so I didn't, it's just funny, right? Perspective on, on who you're talking to and who you're learning from. And he said, look, you could, you could sell stuff that's legal. Why don't, you, why don't you work on selling legal stuff? So I quickly started uh, figuring out how to sell like t-shirts. There, there was a local t-shirt screen printer in Ithaca and I had a knack. I like talking about these things because it, it helps me remember and think about my own children at this moment in time. You know, how do I get them to have this knack? I had a knack of like going to hang out places where I thought there was opportunity. And at this screen printer where the guy would answer questions that I had and I could hang around and I could learn from, um, you know, maybe he had some leftover shirts that they didn't sell. And then we can come up with a design and I could take those shirts and I could go try to sell them or whatever. And before you know it, that became a place um, I was working out of. And, and uh, I learned about this thing called the head of the Charles that took place in Boston. So I made my way to Boston with my cousin and 
a bunch of shirts and we got there to sell shirts and turns out you're not allowed to just go up to people and sell shirts there you have to buy a booth or something so here i am with shirts in my jacket and as people are walking by, I'm opening a jacket like I'm selling watches. <laughs> and that's how my cousin and I are selling shirts. Isn't it funny, uh, you know, as you learn about the government and that they want you to have like a booth, it probably reminded you a little bit of the neighborhood where somebody wanted a cut of what you were doing, right? You know, that's right. You know, this really isn't that different, right? You know, I learned this at a young age. Yes, yeah, somebody wants a cut, right? Uh, you know, I got to have a booth. Got to have a booth. So, so I sold shirts for a while. And, um, but my main business was, was the pool business. And, um, and I kept growing that. I kept going back in the summers. I couldn't wait to get out of Ithaca because, uh, there were no tough guys that, you know, there were professors and, right. and Indian gurus and yoga and meditation. And it was way too soft and crunchy and bohemian for me. I wanted to be with the tough guys. I wanted to be closer to jail. And money and Chinese food and Italian food and and so um anything I could do to get out of there. And my mom, I think when I got in trouble, my mom, um, you're gonna love this. My mom said, Well, now you can't go to school anymore, the public school here, so I'm gonna send you to a Catholic school. And she found that the only Catholic school was an hour away from Ithaca. It was um, Notre Dame. It was in um, Elmira. Yeah, that's our. That's where our first business was. That's where it began. Yeah. That's where we were running turkey trots every year at Notre Dame. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. At that school? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah. Got a lot of history for our uh, community here, our journey community. Yes. Oh, my God. So... So my mom is going to drive, listen to this, my mom is going to drive an hour to drop me off every morning, drive home an hour, come back and pick me up and then drive home. That's, that's her dedication to breaking my balls, right? Like she is going, <laughs> she is going to teach me a fucking lesson. So, but now look, you know, I don't understand the implications for her until, you know, now I'm on this call with you and, and I'm thinking think about as a parent, like, could I do that? Could you do that? So anyway, anyway, to make it worse, you guys will know this, but when we got off the highway, what's, I don't know if route 13, I don't know what the highway is over there, but, but we would get off the highway and then it was like another 10 minutes to get to the school. So there was a funeral parlor that was right next to the highway. I think it started with a K anyway. Turns out the kid in the funeral parlor also went to the same school, Notre Dame. Okay. So she said, I'm just going to drop you off the funeral parlor every morning and you could wait there until the bus comes there and then you guys could go to school. So every morning I'd go into the funeral parlor about 15 minutes before that kid came downstairs and there would be a new dead body in, in literally in the funeral parlor set up for a funeral going on that day. And I would, it would just be me and him or her that was dead. So could you imagine like the lesson my mother's teaching me? Like, I, like people complain about the bus or like the walk to school. Try doing it every morning for a year, right? And just one day I had to make, I had to have fun with it because it was so morbid. One day I said to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sit this guy up. 
<laughs> so when they so when they so when they come downstairs when they come downstairs you're gonna be like smoking a cigarette <laughs> oh man that's crazy wow i mean boy looking back on that I, I guess it was easy to find gratitude you know you're like well i'm alive you know i'm doing better than this guy over here right you know i bet you thinking about it now i bet you when I, when I wonder why I have such a tremendous um, excitement for life, that year might have been very impactful, Yeah. right? Really being that close to death every single day. Sure. At that young age, you're lucky if most kids have even been to a funeral, you know, maybe they've been to one or whatever, but I'm literally going to one every day. <laughs> I was, I was at a funeral every day. Like, we're, you're bringing up memories that I haven't, this is awesome. Yeah. And um, I definitely made a decision at that moment in time that that was a career I would never do. I would never be like a mortician or uh, own a funeral home. Like that was just tough, yeah. tough job, tough, tough day. I didn't make too many friends at that school because every day after school, I, I immediately went back an hour back to Ithaca. So it wasn't like I could hang out after school and... Um, probably too complicated for my mother if I stayed late or something, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I just couldn't wait to get back to Ithaca High School, couldn't wait to get out of Ithaca High School and to the neighborhood. There was no college. I wasn't going to college. I didn't need college in my mind. Stupid thinking. And then, um, and then I'm graduating high school. I get back to Ithaca. I'm graduating high school. And my friend, whose dad was a professor at Cornell, says, hey, um, why don't we go to Cornell? And that would be like saying, hey, why don't we go to Mars? Like, why don't we call Elon Musk and jump on one of his rockets and go to Mars? <laughs> how are we going to go to Cornell? Like, how could that possibly? Well, my dad's a professor. He can get us in. I was graduating in like four months. Like, it wasn't even on my radar. It wasn't a possibility. My SAT score sucked. My grades sucked. Um, okay, that makes sense. You got a guy. <laughs> I got a guy. We'll you get gotta, in. You got, a, you got a guy that's going to get us into Cornell. Like then it made sense to me. Like if we got a guy, right? Right. Like the neighborhood. I got a guy. You're I got right. a guy. So so um, I go. I my dad says, all right, fine. You can go buy a suit. I'll get you some money. Buy a suit for your interview. He's a proud dad. Wow. He's telling people his son's going to interview at Cornell. Um, my friend gets his suit. We go up. We go to interview. My dad gives me some tips on the interview that I talk about in during the interview and the interview goes really well. Um, and like, it's a shoe in, in my mind, I'm going to Cornell and sure enough, we both get rejection letters, right? Our guy did not, was not able to pull the strings and neither of us get accepted. But the woman, the head of the head of, um, admissions, she says to me, listen, it's not the end of your story. Why don't you go to a community college? And, and get good grades and then try to prove in a couple of years that you could come handle the workload. And that's all you had to say to me was that I wasn't worthy, that I had to go somewhere else. And I was like, I am going to this school. What, like I didn't, wasn't even on my plan to go to college, but now it became my thing. Right, right, right. So, right? so yeah, because my dad was already creating a narrative about his son did the interview. Like we must have told the interview story 700 times because that's all I had was an interview. Right, right, right. Right. There was nothing else. Like he couldn't say he had great scores or great. 
had a great interview. You were determined so, not to let that story end badly, right? You know, you had the interview. Now what? I, now what? So, so um, a friend of a friend wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Third Door. And um, that's basically what happened here. You know, there's a front door. There's a back door. But, you know, then there's a third door. There's an, always another way in. And, um, and so I said, all right, what, what is the other way in? And my friend said, listen, we could take three classes each. Had we been accepted, you take five classes, but we're allowed to take three classes each. They don't count towards anything. It's basically like continuing ed for somebody that graduated and want to learn something about uh, physics or whatever. They could take, they're allowed to take class. It doesn't go anywhere. But if we take these three classes each and we do well, we'd have a pretty damn good argument to say, hey, you made a mistake rejecting us. We're, we're, we're smart enough to handle the workload. We haven't done five classes like everybody else, but we've done three and we did really well. Right, right, right. <laughs> right? So I said, I said to my friend, okay. And, and as I'm telling you the story, really, I have to keep thinking about my children. My mind immediately went towards, well, one, I don't want to fall behind. If everybody else is doing five and we're just doing three, how do I get five? Number one. Number two, I got to learn how to study. I got to learn how to read books. I got to like get tuned up on this whole thing. So I said, listen, John, his name was John Arbell. I said, listen, John, I got to go to Queens for the summer to run my business. There's a, a local university there, St. John's University. I'll go to St. John's and uh, take a couple of classes. Why don't you come as well? His mind went to a different place, and this is really important for people listening. This is like, let's say, the fourth lesson, um, or maybe the fourth lesson is there's always a third door. Maybe there's the fifth lesson. His mind went towards, if we're going to buckle down in September and attempt to do well at three classes, why don't we party all summer? Why would we possibly, why would we work hard during the summer? We've got to work hard in September. And 99% and of the public, that's what the public does, right? Like, like January 1st is when I put my New Year's resolutions together and that's when I start working out. Why would I work out in November and December? Why don't we just relax and stuff ourselves full of food and get really sick and fat and then we'll get healthy in January? That's yeah. obviously ridiculous thinking, but that's what most of the public does. That's the truth. Yeah, you know. Right? So, so, so I, I opted to do it on my own, and, um, which was bold right? Go, go find this St. John's University, knock on their door, figure out how to do this. I'm proud of myself as I reflect back on it, right? Because I think at this point in time, I'm like 17. I had, I had started high, you know, um, K through 12 early. I got a 16 year old right now. I don't know if he would be able to do it. You know what I mean? I just figured it out on my own. So, um, so I go to St. John's, I take these class and I, I do really well and I actually like it. Yeah. Actually, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like um, cerebral and academic and like, I can't believe I'm actually sitting, and I'm learning about really cool shit that I didn't know anything about. So then that fuels me and gives me some momentum for that fall when we show up at Cornell and I feel a little more confident and I, I crush it. I, by the way, I take a class, I take Psych 101 with Dr. Maz. I can't, I can't believe I'm remembering all this stuff. Maz, M-A-A-S. Um, it was one of the most sought after classes at Cornell. And um, taught me all kinds of things that apply to the Spartan business, to your bit, like to life. Um, Psych 101, this class was amazing. Anyway, take my three classes, 
and I crushed them, just like I crushed uh, my classes at St. John's. My friend doesn't quite do as well, but he does okay. We both reapply, and neither of us get accepted. Oh, man. Oh, man. And, and the admissions woman says, you know, and at that time I hated her, but now I understand it better. She said, listen, um, I told you, go to a community college, go somewhere, go take some classes, and in a couple of years, reapply. But, like, we can't have you doing this third door thing because then everybody's going to want to do it. So my friend said, my friend taps out and probably lesson number six, which is never, ever, ever quit, right? Winston Churchill. My friend taps out and he, he says, screw it. He goes, I had such a fun time partying in Vegas all summer. I'm going back to Vegas. I'll go to University of Las Vegas. I can just party nonstop. So he goes to Vegas and I, um, I say, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to, I'm going to keep banging on the third door until I knock the door down. So I go, I do it again. I do well reapply, don't get accepted. I'm going to do it again. I do it a third time, reapply, don't get accepted. And now now there's some cracks in the armor, right? Now now they're they're starting to break me. My business is really starting to do well back in Queens. Um, Gotti and all those guys are becoming much bigger figures in the newspapers and everything. And um, what the hell am I doing up here? Clearly, I'm not college material. I'm not getting accepted. And I say to my mom, you know, I think, I'm, I think I'm heading out. I think I'm going to New York. I think they broke me. And she says, well, I don't know if you guys know this story. She says, um, I want you to meet with this woman. I think she works at Cornell. She does my yoga. My, my mother was teaching yoga. She, she, she comes to my yoga classes. She's willing to meet with you before you, you know, quit and go to New York. And so I so my mom doesn't have any connections, right? She teaches yoga and she eats branch sandwiches. What could she possibly do? Right. My mom doesn't that? have a guy, right? You know, know. She doesn't have a guy yeah, right. or girl in this or case. Girl, and right. and, and um, so I go out of respect for my mom. I go sit down with uh, Professor Anita Racine. Remember the name and have since seen her many times. And I sit down with her and she says, oh, I see your records here. You've done well in school and this and that. She says, do you know anything about human ecology? I said, no, which human ecology? She says, human ecology is one of the schools at Cornell. One great thing about Cornell University is you could pretty much study anything. That was the mandate when, when it was founded. Um, so you could, you could be a veterinarian, you could be uh, an engineer, you could be an architect, like you could study anything at Cornell. And they had this school, the School of Human Ecology, which was really built for farm farmers that were taking were going to the agricultural school their wives would go to the school of human ecology and they would learn uh sewing and cooking and all these things and nutrition and uh she explains what the school of human ecology is and she runs a program there even a smaller program within that small school at cornell called the the textile and, and apparel department where they're focused on textiles and she says, I see you sold some t-shirts or whatever. Yeah, I sold. Do you like textiles? And I didn't really make the connection between t-shirts and the word textiles. I was like, I don't really know what textiles are, but yeah, yeah. She said, well, in my department, she says, we have 95 women uh, studying textiles, but no men and we want more diversity. And I said, I love textiles. How do I get in there? <laughs> I love them. <laughs> I love textiles. I knew about them a minute ago, but I love them now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 95 women, no men. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> So, so um, which is how I got to know the Chinese um, 
I told you, I know, I know a bunch of Chinese people. That's how I got to know my Chinese buddy because he uh, was the, became, came after me, was the only other guy in the department. It was, it was 95 women and two men, me and, me and John, who then came to visit us in Howard Beach, Queens, and saw what we do on 4th of July. But she ultimately got me into the school. I finally was accepted to Cornell. My last semester I'm most proud of because um, I had to, I, by then I was driving. I was driving back and forth to Queens on weekends to run my business. My business was extended beyond the summers uh, into the fall, into the spring. So um, anywhere on campus, you happen to find me, not kidding, anywhere I would be sleeping because I was friggin' exhausted, right? I was, I was trying to keep up with all the schoolwork, drive down there, run the business, come back and then like sit on a bench and start reading and just fall asleep. I, I, and, then, and then I missed, I missed the entire party thing because I, I never lived on campus. I wasn't allowed to live on campus in the beginning because I wasn't in the school. By the time I finally got into the school, I, um, people were off campus by then. They were in fraternities, sororities. Um, thank God I, I you know, I never really got into the whole drinking thing because I just wasn't part of that whole scene. Didn't make a ton of friends. I had, um, I had my Chinese buddy yeah. that was, you know, the only other guy in the department. And um, yeah, and I and, and so my last. Sorry to keep interrupting. My last semester, I was short. I think uh, twelve or thirteen credits because of those, those first four semesters, right? Not, not doing what everybody else was doing. And I, um, I wanted to graduate on time. Mm -hmm. So I talked to, um, my counselor or maybe, uh, maybe professor Anita Racine. And she said, number one, she taught me something that every kid that's going to college right now, any kid in high school should know. I didn't know. She said, one of the methods you should use if you're going to take some extra credits, to try to graduate on time is uh, write down your notes as we all do when we're in class, right? Take some notes. When you go home, rewrite those notes that same night. You, you then are moving that information from short-term memory into long-term memory. While you're rewriting those notes, grab your textbook and just go, you know, touch up on those areas because the areas that the professors focus on while you're taking those notes are the areas you're going to get tested on. Those are the areas they deem important. So of course you want to read the entire chapters and this and that, but if you just find those areas that you took the notes in, that, that will be most times enough to get you what you need to know. So I attempted basically two semesters in one, um, my final um, semester, which was you know unheard of, ridiculous, impossible. I ended up making Dean's List, doing, wow, two, doing two semesters in one, simply because of that technique. Yeah. Um, I, I basically became really proficient and wasting zero time. I only focused on the things that mattered. So a kid that was unaccepted, you know, not accepted four times, didn't have the grades, didn't have the SAT scores, um, it was like, it was unbelievable that I, that I pulled it off. Well, how you respond to rejection and adversity in life is everything. In fact, those rejections, you know, where they really introduce us to ourselves and develop a, 
there's a strength in the struggle that gets created. You know, I, I think that's awesome. Um, I want to ask two questions. Um, the first is, where do you think you'd be without Anita Racine? It wasn't I mean, just it wasn't just Anita Racine. Anita, so I, I I went back to see Anita many times afterwards. I donated. I bought them a, a, a thirty thousand dollar microscope when I made some money coming out of college because they changed my life, and she changed my life. And um, I've since stayed. In t well, I didn't even tell you this. I, this is going to blow you away. There's there's um, obviously a whole athletic department at Cornell. For, first of all, to answer the question more succinctly, yes, Anita changed my life. Can't. I'd be a different person without her. Cornell changed my life. Years later, many years later, before COVID, I met the wrestling coach at Cornell, uh, Rob Cole, who you should have on the show. There's two people I want to give you for the show. You got to have Rob Cole. You got to have Mike Palazzo on, and I'll connect you with both of them. Um, and and then so Rob Cole runs a wrestling program for about 30 years at Cornell. He's no he's no longer there now. He's at he's at Stanford. I meet Rob Cole. Rob um, introduces me to what they got going on there. He's got the winningest record of any sport in the Ivy League. Mm -hmm. he, unbelievable what he did. He says to me, um, hey, I want to use the Spartan name. Uh, this is before COVID. I want to use the Spartan name um, as part of the regional training center, or Cornell, a wrestler. I said, yeah, you, you could. You, well, would you mind if we put together a one pager? Yeah, no problem. Put a, I'd, I'd be honored to have Spartan affiliated with um, Cornell Wrestling. During the pandemic, he says, hey, you should come up for the ribbon cutting ceremony. I said, what ribbon cu cutting ceremony? He said, we got a, a, a building, a Spartan building we built at Cornell. I said, what are you talking about? So I, so I come up there and attached to the Cornell Wrestling Room is like a 10, 11 million dollar building they built during COVID um, that is called the Spartan Regional Training Center on campus um, that helps train, uh, you know, when an athlete moves through the program and now he's out of college or she's out of college, they come there and prepare for the Olympics. So, um, so we have, so again, this, this college, this woman changed my life. We have a building on Cornell campus called Spartan. It's unbelievable. Actually, at the well, college yeah, that you, yeah. You got rejected from so many times. It's amazing. <laughs> I, know. It's right, I know that you've been super generous with your time, and I know that we, we have to squeeze in. Uh, I think it'd be, I would be remiss if we didn't just talk about how this Spartan was born, you know, uh, Quebec. Can you give us like the Quebec story so that way our listeners can understand how this worldwide uh, obstacle course racing thing was born uh, from adversity, if you will? Yeah, I'll, I'll do it quickly. So, so my mom... We didn't talk about my mom in Queens when she was into all that crunchy stuff, found a race in Queens, New York called the Transcendence Run. It's a 3,100 mile race around a one mile loop in Queens. I saw that as a young kid, uh, further convincing me my mom was a nutcase. Uh, who would ever do a 3,100 mile run? 50, 60 days of running. My mom, my mom was running 10 miles a day. She was meditating, all this nonsense. And um, nonsense then. Now, obviously, I believe in all this stuff. Right, right, um, right. Fast forward later in my life, um, I get through Cornell, I'm on Wall Street, I'm gaining weight, I'm not feeling like I used to feel when I was physically working every day. I'm sitting at a desk, I'm making money, but I'm turning into a sloth. And um, I find yoga and I find exercise 
and I find races, all the stuff my mother was talking about, right? Finally, at 27, 28, 29 years old, I'm buying into the stuff she was pitching me when I was preteens. And so I go nuts in a sense. So I, I, I go all in and I just start finding races everywhere. And by the year 2000, I had already competed in craziest races around the world. The longer distance they were, the harder they were, the, the, the more I was intrigued, the more I did them. And um, I just kept thinking because I'm an entrepreneur, how do I turn this into a business? At one moment, I was stuck in a really precarious situation in northern Quebec. It was 30 below temperatures. I was with some teammates. We should have died. And um, I don't know, I got especially inspired at that moment. It, it, that tremendous pressure um, opens your mind up. It, it, it helps create change. And, and so I started something at that time called Peak. Peak.com. I bought the URL, peak.com. You should have me on the podcast again. There's a whole, let's leave it at that. Let's leave a cliffhanger. I would love that. If we could do I'm, it to be continued. Yes. 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 I was totally yes. Just oh my thinking. God. We, I was yeah. like, what if you ever come on again? Because yeah. there's yeah. so much. There is. There's so much. Yeah. In fact, I've been right. We have seven lessons today, and I want to clarify number five, but I almost feel like there's a book of lessons in these podcasts. It's just great. Um, and let me ask you then, because by the way, Overcomer Nation, uh, we are going to have a part two to this. So this is great. But I mean, you talked you talked about your first few lessons, which was, you know, being early, 15 minutes early, being valuable and not having your hand out. And then lesson number four was about the third door. Lesson number five, your buddy wanted to party and you um, chose to work that summer, you know, work at your education. Um, what, what would you title that lesson? Like about preparation, meeting opportunity or, you know, how would you... Uh, I would I, let, let, let's call that lesson save the fun for later <laughs> save the fun for later I like that and then it's so we have had so many connections we have written you're seeing our word art wall today every gym has a wall that says never give up which was lesson number six you know right. you okay. said never ever quit and right? he you said know? all in too which yeah, is also right. on on yeah, all there's of another our walls wall too. All in you got to be there. all in. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So and then the lesson number seven was about the notes and the rewriting which I have a goal to read a lot of books this year in different areas, but I don't let myself finish a book without making notes on a Google sheet of what my takeaways were. Cause otherwise what was the, there's no application. There was no education, right. You know, so uh, I really think that's an important lesson. Um, final question then what makes an overcomer? You know, the last thing I mentioned before we, we go to part two was I, I was literally hanging from a tree in Northern Quebec. Um, and so I would say, I'm going to not answer that until we get to the next episode because I'm hanging and we don't know if I overcame. We don't know. Let's, right. let's wait right. and find out. I love it. I love it. I can't wait. Well, I will, uh, I'll reach out to you. I'll yeah, yeah, let's do it. I, I thank you for your time today. Yeah. You've been super generous with us and our audience. Thank so thank you for this that. This is great. Um, yeah. You guys are awesome. This is the most fun podcast I ever had. I'll see you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate <laughs> All right, you. All right. All right. Have a great Have a day. Great day. Right. See you. Joe DeSina, part two, right? Hey. I was thinking, oh, excuse like... me, excuse me, Overcomer Nation. Because we're still recording. Cindy and I are going to chat about this for a second. But That's hilarious. Uh, Joe DeSena. I said DeSena. Again. Like, isn't there like a, a wrestler named DeSena? Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, we're going to have a part two with a guy that we 
been you know wanting for a while to have a part well one. there's so much more right. well there is there's there is so, like we haven't even talked about the whole spartan thing and that you were oh. up at his house oh my gosh um so, doing a yeah uh, i mean he was touching on so many things i was in i was in prison with not involved audience uh but i was in in prison with people that were associated with Gotti, gambino genovese mm -hmm. banano um so i mean i understand the uh families he was talking about and then when I came home after all that adversity, uh, I mean, of course, fitness was my thing since 96 and well, since a young age, and I just got reengaged with it. So then I, I come home and I'm working at a gym and, and I learn about these Spartan races. And right, we did our first Spartan race before we ever had a journey. I just thought it seemed like a cool thing. Or so Stallone's talking and says, maybe you, maybe you got something you still want to do, something you haven't finished, you know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got a lot of things I still want to do. And, uh, and so then I got invited, uh, Overcomer Nation, I got invited to what was called the Spartan Pilot Program. You mentioned about being at Joe's house. Yeah. Um, where was We were in Killington, Vermont. Mm -hmm. Is that where it was? Yeah. So, Killington Mountain. Yeah, that was crazy. Mm -hmm. That was crazy. We might talk about it in an episode too, so I won't say too much, but uh, it was their first attempt at having uh, certified Spartan coaches. And man, do they, uh, oof, uh, there are some stories. And if we don't cover them in episode two, I will tell you uh, the stories of basically having my own death race out there at his uh, his ranch. But uh, we're proud to be affiliated with Spartan. Uh, Spartan is now part of our brand because we mm -hmm. do quarterly DECA events to let our members test their performance. And they become official Spartans with that because they uh, uh, they get a medal and a T-shirt and all mm -hmm. those kind of things and a, a national timing for that DECA, which we have one coming up on uh, March 5th at the Aspen sure High School. and. Our other journey locations have their own coming up. So wherever, whatever location you're close to, find out and uh, you can become a Spartan. Uh, I hope you like what you heard today. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I did. Yeah, I love it. It was great. He's such an interesting guy. He, he yeah. is a very interesting yeah. guy. Yeah, a lot of very, connections yeah. with him. Yeah, I really look forward to spending time with him again. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in and uh, have a great day, everyone. Bye, guys. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Overcomers Podcast sponsored by Journey 333. When I am not hosting the Overcomers Podcast, I am working at one of our fitness franchises so that I can continue to help people overcome adversity on a daily basis. That's right, people come to the Journey 333 fitness franchises because they want a coach in their life. They want somebody to help them overcome the adversities of life, motivate them to higher levels of greatness, bring out their potential, help them lose weight, get off medications, fight depression, fight anxiety. That's what we do on a regular basis. If you feel like you want your life to be about helping more people to overcome their adversities, if you feel like you're an overcomer and you want to create more overcomers, then maybe owning a Journey 333 franchise would be for you. To find out more, go to www.journeyfitness333.com.